0: Hi guys, I'm Marie and I'm Maddie, and we are here recording "Lost in the Woods." Welcome, welcome. You probably already knew that, yeah, <laughs> because you clicked on it and pressed the button. <laughs> Today, we are going to talk about SOS in the Rocky Mountains, which is one of the craziest stories I have ever researched. On January sixth of nineteen eighty-two. Harold E. Bray, a passenger on a United flight flying over Colorado on its way to California, would be looking out the window and would see flashing lights in the mountains. And this was on Guanala Pass. He would see three short, three long, and three short, which is Morse code for the international SOS or save our
1: ship or save our soul. I think everyone knows what SOS means. Yeah, well, I it's would a, hope so. internationally used. I would it's hope so. pretty sure that's a But pretty... would most people know it
0: in order to send it or know it when they saw it? Harold was a Jefferson County sheriff, and he would recognize the pattern of the flashing lights as an SOS call for help. He would relay the call for help to the crew and the pilot, who would relay this to authorities, which I don't even think— These days, you could get a message like this to the pilot. Think about it. Like, if you saw something on a plane, what do you think the chances of you getting to tell the pilot about it are these days? In response to the pilot calling this in, a Rocky Mountain Airway plane piloted by Mike Wilcox would circle the area investigating, and he would see the headlights, of a truck stuck on the pass. He would flash his landing lights to let the stranded motorist know that he had been seen. He would then radio the FAA, who would notify the Clear Creek County Sheriff's Office. And just before midnight, a dispatch would go out about the stranded motorist. Guy's frickin' lucky that anybody even saw his lights. Dave Montoya, a fire chief in Clear Creek County, would respond and he would find himself driving up Gunola Pass looking for a potentially stranded motorist. It was snowing heavily, and temperatures were well below zero. At the top of the pass, he would find 30-year-old Alan Phillips with his pickup truck stuck in a snowdrift, and this was at about 11,665 feet up the pass. So they're, they're pretty high up there. I feel like a pickup truck is like a really bad thing to drive in the snow too. Especially if you don't have any weight in it. When Phillips saw Montoya, he would say, Oh God, I'm saved. He said that he had gotten drunk and tried to drive home. Montoya said, You came up over the pass? And Phillips would say, It seemed like a good idea at the time. He said he had been visiting with friends in Bailey, Colorado, and thought that he could make it home. And after getting stuck in the snowdrift... He had tried to dig the truck out, but was unsuccessful. And it was 20 degrees below zero, so he felt like it was too cold to go for help. And when he heard the airplane flying overhead, he had started flashing his lights. Montoya said that he couldn't believe how lucky this guy had gotten. The only injury that Phillips had was a big bruise on the side of his face, and he said that he had gotten out of the truck to use the bathroom and been blinded by the snow, and that he had hit his face on the corner of the truck when trying to get back to it. Ironically, this was not the first time the two had met. They had actually worked at a local mine together where Montoya was a miner and Phillips was a mechanic. But it would be 40 years before Montoya would see Phillips again.
1: So also on January 6, 1982, 29-year-old Barbara Oberhalter would go missing from Breckenridge. Colorado which is a small ski resort town at the base of the Rocky Mountains and this town only has a population of 1,200 people so Barbara or Bobby Joe as her friends called her and her husband Jeff lived in the mountains of Colorado and they were actually trying to have a baby at the time that she had gone missing. On July 6th Bobby got a raise from the real estate company that she'd been working for and She would call her husband to tell him that she was going out with friends to celebrate. She would call him collect at about 6.20 and say that she was getting ready to head home.
0: So she's calling him from the bar
1: at 6.20. She would need to get a ride home as she had hitchhiked to work that morning.
0: Yep, which was a very common thing for Bobby Joe to do.
1: After this, she went back into the bar and told her friends that she wanted to go home. And around 7.45, she would put on her coat and her gloves and her backpack. And she told the bartender that she was going to hitchhike home because her friends weren't ready to go. There was a common area called Hitchhike Station. So obviously hitchhiking was pretty common in this area at this time. And it was thought that she went there to try to get a ride. Okay. Her husband, Jeff, woke up in the middle of the night to realize that Bobby wasn't home. And then he would go to drive the route that she would have taken to get from the bar to their house. And after finding nothing, not seeing any signs of her, he went right to the police station. And she hadn't even been missing for 12 hours at this time. So Jeff was set home because for some reason... Yeah. Well, and
0: police, I think, were like, well, she was out having drinks with friends. Like, if she doesn't come home by morning, call us back. Like, they weren't as concerned as Jeff at this point. Now, around 9 a.m., Bobby is still not home, and Jeff would actually get a call from a local rancher who he doesn't know, and this rancher would tell him that he had found a driver's license with Bobby Joe's name and picture on it. and. Jeff doesn't call police when he receives this call, but instead he goes to investigate himself. He would send his brother to pick up the driver's license, and he goes with a friend to drive the route she would have traveled again. He's actually in the passenger seat when he sees something on the side of the road, and they pull over, and he realizes that it is a backpack. And Jeff walks through the snow making the only visible footprints because it has been snowing throughout the night. So there's no footprints around the backpack at the time. And he picks up the backpack along with a bloody tissue that he finds and a right wool glove that also has blood on it. And he recognizes it as a pair that Bobby had been wearing that day. So he happens to find Bobby's backpack And contaminates a potential crime scene in the process. So, as you can imagine, this is probably going to move him up on the suspect list.
1: Uh So, Jeff would call the police who would head to the scene. And inside the backpack, police would find Bobby Joe's sunglasses, makeup, along with other personal belongings, including some of Jeff's business cards. So the driver's license was about five miles from where the backpack was found, making it appear that someone had been throwing out her belongings as they were, like, driving down the highway.
0: Right. Also, the fact that there were no footprints around the backpack could also be an indication that it had been thrown from the road. By noon, friends, family, and community members decided to take matters into their own hands, and they would go out searching for Bobby along the road. This is along Highway 9 near a scenic overlook at Hozier Pass, about 10 miles outside of Breckenridge. Three men who had brought skis would make a gruesome discovery. They would find a body down an embankment, and it would be the body of Bobby Joe. She was on her back with blood pooling around her. They would not disturb the scene, and they would back out and flag down a police car that was driving the road.
1: So, Bobby Jo had two plastic, 18-inch zip ties around her left wrists. There was fresh snow, and there were tracks that seemed to be implying that she had been running. So, she was shot in the back, and there was a trail of blood going down the snowbank as if she had slid down. After being shot, yeah.
0: So, it sounds like maybe she escaped an attacker before both of her hands could be bound together. She runs, is shot twice in the back just before reaching the safety of the woods. But neither of the gunshot wounds actually were fatal. She actually bled and froze to death. Which, fucking Christ, I can't. Police would contact Steve, and he would insist on seeing the body of his wife, saying that he needed to make sure that it was her. And he actually made them unzip the body bag, because she had already been collected at this point. When searching, police would find evidence about 130 yards away. In a nearby parking lot, they find a key ring, and this key ring is one that her husband had made her to use for self-defense. But police would find something much stranger. They would find a single, bright orange sock. But Bobby Jo was wearing both of her matching white socks, and in fact was fully clothed. So it's not one of her socks. Correct. Which, how bizarre to find, like, a random sock near her keys that doesn't belong to her.
1: Yeah, he parked, she opened the car door, and bolted.
0: A man would come forward saying that he had pulled over at the hitchhiking station when he saw a woman matching Bobby's description. And he said that he had offered her a ride home, but he wasn't going as far as her, and she didn't want to be stranded in the middle of nowhere trying to get the rest of the way home. So she turned down his ride. Hmm. But that would end up being the last
1: known sighting of Bobby. So Bobby's family would say that something seemed off with the marriage. Just three months before she went missing, she had flown home when her mom got remarried, and Jeff did not come with her. Jeff would give what the police believed to be a fake alibi. And this alibi was literally that he was just with... uh. In a Queens. Who police were never able to find. So he was probably having an affair. So now Jeff would volunteer to take a polygraph. And in fact he took two. And would pass both. But you guys know how we feel about polygraphs. So. It was also rumored that Jeff was having an affair. At the time of Bobby's disappearance. Also the type of blood on the glove. Does not match Jeff's blood. Jeff's blood does not match any of the blood that was found. Correct, because at this point, they can only test what type of blood.
0: They're not able to test it for DNA. And the type of blood does not match Jeff's. But it does match Bobby Joe's blood type. So the fact that the blood on the glove doesn't match Jeff actually doesn't mean much because it does match Bobby Joe's at this point.
1: Yeah.
0: I want to switch gears for a second. And talk about another woman named Annette Schnee, who we would learn also went missing on the same day as Bobby. So Thursday, the same night that Bobby went missing, around 4.45, a witness reported seeing Annette in a deep conversation with a dark-haired woman outside of the local pharmacy. And this pharmacy is near another one of those hitchhiking stations. And Annette was also known to hitchhike. Again, very common at this time in this area. Now, on Friday morning, her boss at the Holiday Inn would report her missing, and police would wonder if it could be connected to the murder of Bobby Joe, as the two went missing possibly on the same day and even around the same time, or at least within hours of each other, yeah. based mm-hmm. on when they were last seen. When police check her home, which is about five miles from where she was last seen, her work uniform for the bar that night is laying out on her bed, leading police to believe that she did not come home after the pharmacy because she never showed up for her 8.30 shift at the bar.
1: Okay. So Jeff, Bobby Joe's husband, obviously, um, would come forward and he would say that he believed that Annette's body would be found. He said, I've always had different premonitions all my life he believed that her body would be found four miles from his house on the fourth of july so is jeff part of the killing spree because that's weird as fuck to say jeff i agree so their primary suspect comes forward saying that he had a premonition that the body of another missing woman who went missing the same night as his wife would be found near his house on the fourth of july what do we think that they're thinking I'm sure they're thinking he's guilty as fuck right now. I think he's guilty as fuck right, right. now. Right? Now Annette's body would actually be found six months later on July 3rd, 1982. So yeah. your premonition wasn't quite right there, one day, Jeffy boy. It was one day off. Still weird as fuck. I don't it's like it. It's all weird. I don't like it. So a 13-year-old boy fishing along the creekside... Is the one that finds her body partially submerged in the creek. Yeah. So this is about 10 miles from where Bobby Joe was found and about six miles from Jeff and Bobby's house. So he's a day off and
0: about a mile off. What did he say? Did he say four or five miles? Four.
1: July 4th, four miles from his house. So he's two miles off.
0: I don't like that. Bro, he
1: killed her, right?
0: I don't like it at all. Did he not?
1: It's unclear at this point if she had been killed or dumped here. So she'd been shot in the back at a downward angle, indicating that she was kneeling or running downhill at the time that she was shot. But the gunshot wound, once again, did not kill her and her cause of death would be determined that she had froze and bled to death. Uh And uh, basically all evidence is gone because they were killed during the snow. There was snow everywhere. Right. And now when her body is recovered, there is no more snow. So everything's... There's no evidence anywhere. Right. Not only did Annette and Bobby Joe disappear on the same day, but obviously their cause of death is the same.
0: Yeah. Now, the zipper on Annette's jeans is broken and her boots are on the wrong feet, and this led police to believe that she had been sexually assaulted. But too much time had passed. There's really no evidence left on her body. But the connection to Bobby Joe would become even more clear. When they would take off Annette's boots, and they would find on her left foot one orange sock. And her right foot has no sock on it. But it's not exactly missing, as police already have the sock in evidence. Yeah. But to me, this would indicate that Annette was actually killed first.
1: Yeah, that would make sense if Annette was killed first. That ruins what I would mm-hmm. think would happen is Same. that then Same. he kidnapped Annette to make up for the fact that he right. was Wait, what time did Annette go missing? Annette
0: goes missing around like four forty five is the last time she's seen. PM? Yeah. And then Bobby Joe goes missing around seven forty-five PM.
1: Yeah, so she actually goes missing afterwards.
0: Bobby Joe goes missing after Annette. Yeah. Who is sexually assaulted. Crime scene. So Needless to say, the sock found at the crime scene of Bobby Joe is determined to be the missing sock from Annette's foot. And these socks do belong to Annette, as her mom is able to identify them as a pair that she had bought her. So they are Annette's socks. Annette is also wearing a jacket. And in the pocket of this jacket, they would find something that would make this case even more confusing. There's a plastic photo insert inside her pocket and inside they would find her driver's license, her social security card, and there's also a picture of a military-looking man. So short, buzz cut, but no one knew who this man was, not even her family. And police have never been able to identify who this man is. Hmm. But that's not actually the strangest thing that they find. They also find a business card. And that business card belonged to Jeff Oberholzer. Oh,
1: my God. He's totally fucking involved. Oh, it's so crazy.
0: So there's just a lot of coincidences here, right? Jeff's wife goes missing. And on the same day, another woman goes missing from the same general area. That woman's sock is found with his wife's body. And his business card is found in the pocket of the other woman who he claimed he did not know. Because, remember, police question him about this woman because they go missing on the same day. Jeff has his premonition, but he doesn't know the woman, according to his statements at that time. Now, when police go back to Jeff, he suddenly remembers that he maybe does know Annette and that he believed he had picked her up hitchhiking the previous summer. Now, he's a small appliance repairman. That's his business card, by the way. So I'm not sure why she would hang on to this. Maybe it was based off of a conversation that they had. But when police look at this timeline, during his encounter with Annette, Bobby Joe was out of town for her mother's wedding. So police start to wonder if maybe he knew Annette better than he was implying, and could this be the affair that he had been having? So the creek that Annette is found in is connected to a road that leads very near to where Bobby Joe was found. So she could have been killed and left there, or she possibly could have been murdered closer to where Bobby Joe was and her body dumped into the water and she ended up 10 miles downstream over the six-month period that her body was missing. So police figure... It could have happened either way at this point. So even with all of the evidence and both women
1: now being found, both cases would go cold. There is a new suspect that emerges at this point, and this would be Thomas Edward Luther. He's also known as the Colorado Spree Killer, which this one makes sense for what we've seen with these two women. Spree killing looks like that. He was a cab driver, and six weeks after the murders, he had picked up a woman from a bus stop, and he would attack her and beat her almost to death with a hammer. Ugh. And he would serve ten years. Oh my god. Ten years? Are you fucking kidding me? That's so painful. I'm sorry. It's
0: because she survived. That's why he only got ten years.
1: I don't give a damn. Agreed. You beat someone with a hammer? You should just get beat with a
0: hammer. By the way, while in jail, he did confess to his cellmate and multiple other
1: inmates that he had also murdered two other women. Good. So he did have access to a revolver that matched the weapon that was used in Annette's and Bobby Joe's murder. Police would visit him in prison and he would deny any involvement. And he would say he would not have used a gun to kill those women. He would have used a hammer or a knife. hmm. More of an intimate man. That's what that is. You're disgusting. So he would take a polygraph, and it would come back inconclusive. Well, when you're a psychopath, you know, those things can be inconclusive. Um, But this would not be the end of Luther. Don't worry. Um, After getting out of prison, he would befriend a woman, take her into the mountains, where he would shoot and kill her before burying her. Oh, look, he used a gun.
0: Yeah, so at this point, I'd say he's looking pretty good for the 1982 murders. Yeah. Now, as time passed, so would advances in DNA. And police would go back to the case and they would run the blood on the glove again, which they had believed contained Bobby Joe's blood. But they would be in for a shock when the DNA would come back as male. So now police have male DNA associated with Bobby Joe's case that they can run, They put it into CODIS, and they run it against their current suspects, which are Luther and probably Bobby Joe's husband, Jeff. Jeff. They would get no hit in CODIS, and the DNA did not match Jeff or Luther. So basically, there's no hits in the system, and their only two suspects have basically been
1: ruled out. Fun. Annette's family would hire a private investigator named Charles McCormick. And he was a retired Denver homicide detective. McCormick would charge them a dollar per year. Ten years later, he would join the district attorney's task force investigating the case. So they would spend about a year wandering through hundreds of family trees with no luck. Right. And we've heard about this kind
0: of mapping where it's actually really complicated, right? So you take DNA, you enter it into a database and you try to figure out where in the family tree this DNA could belong. Cuz it'll attach you to a family basically. But then or multiple families. Mm-hmm. But then trying to figure out who actually is associated with it is a lot more complicated than just
1: oh look, it's probably uncle whoever, right? On January 9th, 2021, he would get a call from a genetic researcher and she would say we got him. Well, technically they had two suspects, Alan Phillips and Bruce Phillips, and they were brothers. Police would interview Bruce first and he would say that he had never lived in Colorado, but his estranged brother Alan had. Yeah, so police would
0: follow Alan Phillips for five weeks. And he would throw nothing away. He didn't even put out his garbage. One day, he would leave his house and go to a Sonic drive-in. And they hoped that he would throw his trash away there. But he didn't. He took it with him. He then went to the post office where he walked in with his Sonic trash. And he would throw it away inside the post office. And police would actually collect his trash. So I'm thinking, obviously, he heard about the Golden State Killer being caught this way and everybody else being caught this way and is being very careful not to leave anything lying around. I Mm -hmm. wonder if he knew he was being followed or if this was just like a best practice for him at this point. Mm Because it's weird. Imagine never throwing a Starbucks cup away, a fast food wrapper away, not putting your garbage out at the curb, like never... Giving anybody access to anything that you basically touched is kind of crazy. Five weeks of that.
1: Five weeks, no. Be just because I throw my trash away that I have inside of my house. But, like, other garbage, 100%. I can collect five weeks of garbage in my car. <laughs> Sick. I, not me. I, I throw my garbage away,
0: one, at Auntie Hannah's house all the time when I go there in the morning. Because <laughs> her trash can is, like, right there. And then gas stations. If I'm at a gas station and there's any garbage in my car, I will throw it away. I
1: won't do that. I don't want to be out of my car in the gas station. I put my card in. I get my gas, pump out, put it in my car, go sit back in my car, lock my doors. Sit in there until my gas is done pumping. Get out of my car, yeah. put it back in, and then get directly back in my car and drive away.
0: hmm So 39 years after the murders, Phillips would be identified as their man. Now, Alan Lee Phillips was 31 at the time of the murders, and he had never been on the radar of police before his DNA would point them in his direction. Police would decide to make a controlled traffic stop where they would arrest him. Dude, he's like in his 70s now. But don't worry, he did have a criminal history. Phillips had been arrested in 1973 for assault and burglary. So this is almost a decade before the murders of Bobby Joe and Annette. Phillips had picked up a woman that was hitchhiking in Breckenridge and then drove her to an abandoned cabin where he pulled her from his Jeep, picked up a rock, and hit her several times over the head with it. Now, apparently, she was able to convince him to let her go, and she would go to the police. Phillips would confess to the crime and serve six months in jail. I don't understand how this arrest did not get him onto police radar in the first place.
1: They didn't have a system back then. There I was know. No, I actually
0: like, collective database. I actually saw at some point that when they went back looking for this arrest, they had a lot of trouble finding the file on it. Like it wasn't just like there for them to look at. like somebody had to actually go dig for it in like a basement.
1: I'm not surprised by that at all.
0: His name had also come up in a double murder in 2005 by a lead that was called into Crime Stoppers. But police were never able to confirm that information. So he's also possibly a suspect in a double murder in 2005.
1: And they're like, "Mm, nah, he didn't do this. So Phillips is now 70
0: years old. He has three children. They're adults now, though. And he had been living just behind a popular rest area off of Interstate 70 in Dumont. And this is about 20 miles from Guanala Pass. So he is charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of kidnapping in the first degree, and two counts of assault with a deadly weapon. Can you imagine at this point how Jeff Olberhölzer? feels hearing this news. Because I guarantee you if this had happened with a sheriff department that was maybe a little more ambitious, he easily could have been arrested, tried and maybe even convicted for these murders. Think about the circumstantial evidence. Like Jeff could have been spending all of this time in jail. But even without that, he spent all of this time living under suspicion, where a lot of people believed he was guilty.
1: I still think he's guilty.
0: (laughs) Now, Montoya, the I think he was with fire, who had rescued Phillips in 1982, would see him on the news and his mugshot would be put on TV saying, if you have any information about this man, please call. And this would bring Montoya back to the night of January 6, 1982, when he had driven up Guanola Pass to rescue the stranded motorist. So Montoya would call in, bringing this case full circle to the night that both women went missing and how Phillips had become stranded on Guanola Pass after murdering the two and gotten himself stuck in a snowbank after disposing of their bodies. How fucking crazy is that montoya would say if i would have known what i know then i probably would have left him
1: yeah on september 15th 2022 it would take a jury five hours to return a guilty verdict and he would be sentenced to two consecutive life terms at arkansas valley correctional facility in colorado Annette's mother, Elaine, who is 88
0: at the time of this verdict, would say, I thought maybe I'd be gone before I had closure to this case. So that really, I'm ready to go now when it's my time. That is our case on the Rocky Mountains, which is just crazy. And... Maddie and I are going to flip over to Bunker Talk now. Come and support us on Patreon if you want to hear our Bunker Talks, which we do on every episode. We also just released our Patreon-exclusive episode on Patreon, which is about baby Ayla Reynolds. I recorded it by myself because Madison can't handle any more children for a while, and a child is involved in that case. But yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. Come visit our Instagram or our Facebook and we will talk to you guys soon. Yep. Bye.
1: he was eating it. He was loving it. You know, he eats, you know, goose. Goose ate all your plants. So every time a plant comes into... Go- That's what goose gets for eating plants. Um you Yeah. So be eating- turns out he wasn't chewing this grass. He was just swallowing it. So he was like, I am assuming like coughing it up. He first cried to me in the kitchen. Aww. He like made like this horrible crying noise that i've never heard him make before and then he went into the dining room and started drooling profusely like gagging like he was like dry heaving trying to throw oh, up God. and it, he had like his tongue sticking out of his mouth it was the absolute saddest cat throw up i've ever seen because he was not goose has never thrown up before so he this is it was his first time he probably throwing didn't up. understand what was yeah. happening well he cried And then he, like, threw up a bunch of liquid, and he wasn't even, like, hunched over, like, the normal cat throwing up position because he literally just didn't know what to do. He was, like, sitting straight up when he threw up. Oh, God. And then he threw up, like, a nut more, and then... But he kept freaking out every time the grass would, like, almost come up, and he would, like, swallow it down because he would, like, freak the fuck out. So he eventually pooped it out, but... He also threw up all over the floor, but it was more, like, just really sad. And he That just, is really he sad. He was just so confused afterwards, staring at his puke, like, traumatized.
0: Man, Mystic just got really excited when Maddie got here and, like, crawled into her lap and was so happy.
1: Yeah, I miss him. It was very cute. It was very, very cute. People are like, how many cats do you have? I'm like... Well, I have two. I kind of have three, but I only have two. But
0: one's in foster care at my
1: mom's.
0: (laughs) I do think that he's happier here than he would be at your apartment. A hundred percent. He wouldn't
1: be able to go outside as easily. I know. There's more cars, less area for him to play around in. And he just doesn't like the boys.
0: Yeah. You know what I'm realizing, though, is that Phoenix is not much of an animal person. She's kind of like me, like he'll like get up and like try to cuddle with her, and she's just like, oh, Mystic, but she'll pet him, she'll give him attention, yeah. But she's never like, oh, hi, Mystic.
1: Like she's well, like, no, she was like that with the boys, and I she know. was like that with the well. And I thought
0: that she would be more like, like warm up more with just one cat here, maybe,
1: but apparently not. Like she's just like,
0: no.